So corporate layoffs are rising while the U.S. economy is slowing down. Have you thought about what you would do if you were affected by downsizing? Hi, my name is Michael Blanc, and I want to help you become financially free through real estate so you'll never have to worry about getting laid off. According to a recent Money Watch report, it's on Google to search for layoffs rising as the U.S. economy slows. Layoffs spiked in September and increased 46% from the previous month. This is obviously not good news, and it's an indication to me that inflation is taking its toll because retailers specifically like Walmart and Amazon downgraded their earnings report because people are earning less. I think it's just going to cascade through the economy. And if you don't control your financial destiny and you rely on a job right now, you could be in big trouble. So be proactive. Good news is there's a solution, which is passive income by investing in real estate, specifically apartment buildings. And the even better news is that you don't need previous real estate investing experience at all or a bunch of cash to get started. So if you want help with Getting started with apartment buildings, if that's something that you might be interested in, so you can get out of the rat race forever, text the word APARTMENTS to 66866. That's APARTMENTS to 66866, and I'll connect you to one of our advisors, and let's see how we can help you begin your journey to financial freedom with real estate. Well, hello there, and welcome to the Apartment Building Investing Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Blanc. I'm super excited that you're here. I'm also super excited about our mentoring program because our students are just doing deals. And I, you know, I think we got it dialed in. We have this blueprint, a system that we follow. And as, as long as a, the students follow that blueprint, they're getting deals. And in fact, we guarantee the results that if you don't have a first deal in your first 12 months, we'll continue working with you until you do. And we can do that because we're so confident in our ability to do that. So if you value mentoring, if you think that's something that can help you accelerate your goals and scale faster and check us out at themichaelblanc.com forward slash mentor and set up a call with us. So do that right now while it's still fresh in your mind. So with that, I'm going to bring in my co-host, Garrett Lynch. What's going on, Garrett? What's going on, Michael? So we're almost, uh, you know, we're almost through by the time this airs, we will have raised and hopefully closed that 150 unit in, in Atlanta. That's kind of exciting. Oh, man. Yeah, that's, we left some extra room on this deal and it's been so much fun to try to get, just get it all finished up. But this is, man, this is a great deal. It's just huge and uh, a lot of, it's been a, a lot it's of fun. The nicest we've ever, I mean, it looks so, it looks, it was kind of like flipped and completely like renovating the just outside, the outside but, not, but not the inside. It's, yeah, it's just the outside. That's like the best thing ever. Oh. And then not only that, they like proved it out on a few of them. They're like, here, let's, let's renovate a few and show you what we can do. And I'm like, man, so it's all proven. Yeah, it's, I love it. These are self-comping properties and they put uh, completely renovated, put granite on there and stainless steel. It's insane. And they're getting the rents that we're projecting. So I don't, I don't even have to look at sales co rental comms. It's already in there. So that is off to us. Good start. It's awesome. And you know, here's the thing, Garrett, I want to get your perspective on this because you've been traumatized by this in the past, but it's so common that uh, people partner with each other in this space. And certainly I do it, you do it, you have done it. A lot of joint venturing. In fact, it's unusual for someone not to joint venture in our space, just because you can play into your strengths and partner with someone that, that complements you, but also you can scale faster as well. So we highly recommend partnering, but there's also the dark side of partnering. And you've certainly been through it. Talk about, uh, talk about that a little bit. Yeah. You know, when you're partnering, I think, I think the mistake that people make is they, they're like, oh, you know, I'm going to go into business with my friend or my family member or somebody like that. And I've seen, I saw somebody that I, that I know pretty close with, they're like, I'm going to go into multifamily. And then they, it was like, they're, their wife, their cousin, their brother. It was like, and none of them knew anything about the, about the business. And that's how you can destroy everything. <laughs> if you try to go into something, what I suggest is if you're going to partner, you got to understand, all right, what value do I bring? 
to the partnership and what do they need? Maybe you bring this value and you're like, oh, I'm really good at finding deals. That's like my thing. But they already got that guy in a partnership. Then you don't need to try to add value to that necessarily unless they're having problems with that side. You can find guys that maybe need the other side of that. And so, you know, understanding that concept, I think in general, what, what value am I, what am I good at? Okay. And then how can I add value to somebody else? And then having those clear defined roles as to how you guys are going to go about it. Yeah, that's right. I mean, you, you cover a lot of things here. One is you have to provide value. You know, if you're just going out there, well, someone have a deal for me or money for me. No, what are you going to provide? You have to be pro proactive, right? And then you have to be clear about your roles and responsibilities. The, the partnerships that work well is where the roles are clearly defined. You find deals, I go find money. Okay. Now we're going to cross pollinate between the two, but those roles are pretty clearly defined. Now, what went wrong in the other partnership? I mean, what'd you do wrong, Garrett? It's all your fault, I'm sure. Yeah. So that one, it got to a point where I think we grew just like too fast and the roles weren't clearly defined and the visions weren't aligning. And so you can have other things that, that hiccup along the way. And when you get to a certain point, maybe what you started with was not which, where you're at in three years, right? And so the way to kind of help navigate that is to have partnership checkups and, and understand, realign yourselves even monthly along the way, check in, hey, is it, are we on the right path? Are we, are we in sync? Are we covering each other in certain areas? Are you picking up the slack in this area? And make sure that you're constantly on that same page. And I think a lot of that just boils down to simple communication and a plan around it. And, and so that's how you can avoid it. I think we just didn't have enough of that going through the process until we were so far apart, we didn't even know who each other were anymore. And so, you know, that's, that's a good way to look at it. Sounds like, sounds a little bit like a marriage for crying out loud, but you're not wrong. In fact, you're right. I mean, communication is key. And because sometimes the situations, like you said, change, you get together with 10 units and before you know, you have 2000 units, situations change. Sometimes people even change and doing a check-in every once in a while with, Hey, do do we we still want the same thing? Right? Because if we don't, then that's going to create conflict. And I think that's important. We're lucky because we're in like a it's good and it's bad, but it's good because we're in like a segmented business, right? So like if we buy a property together, we don't have to buy the next property together if that's not the plan. So you, you know, you see people that partner and they'll do someone over here, over here. But I think the most powerful version of partnership is to have an aligned vision with the same people and continuing that process and refining it along the way as you go. And I think, you know, if you can do that, the sky's the limit if you're trying to scale it. Yeah, so true. Partnership, great. And but you communication is so so important. So let's move on to the show today, Garrett, because we have someone uh, who we kind of look up to. He's a very well known author called Gino Wickman. He wrote a couple of books that uh, is called Traction, where he created the enterprise entrepreneurial operating system or EOS. In fact, our company about 18 months ago started using the EOS system for running the company. It's a sequence. It's a series of of meetings, how to conduct meetings, formats of those meetings, how to set goal, how to track goal. And he's got over 100,000 companies using this, these tools. Uh, in fact, he's spent those last 20 years building that, uh, that suite of tools. And so that's been super helpful. He has another book called, called Rocket Fuel, which talks about the role of the visionary and an integrator in a company. And that has been super impactful. It's one of my top 10 books of all times. And both of those books have sold million copies each. And so we're really fortunate to have him on the show because he's got a new book out 
called Entrepreneurial Leap that we're going to focus on in, the, in this particular show. Uh, Gino is just so excited about entrepreneurs and helping them kind of eliminate the pain and make that more entrepreneurial. So with that, let's get right in the interview with Gino Wickman. You're listening to the Apartment Building Investing Podcast, where we'll talk about all aspects of buying apartment buildings with a special focus on raising money from others. And now, your host, Michael Block. Gino, welcome to the show today. Glad to be here. Looking forward to this, guys. Yeah, I'm just excited to have you because I've like read all your books and implemented everything in our business. So I'm really excited about, about that, to have you in the show and kind of go deep because you know, you know entrepreneurs so much. You've been around them yourself. You've been one. But also, more interestingly, you've studied them. You know, what, what is it? Why are you so passionate about entrepreneurs, Gino? You know, I, I wish I could give you the perfect answer, um, but I believe, you know, one of, the, one of the things I urge and I teach is for everyone to find their passion. And my whole world is within the realm of entrepreneurs. So I advise that outside of the realm of entrepreneurs. But as an entrepreneur, you certainly need to find your passion. Well, my passion is entrepreneurs. And I believe almost every passion stems from a wound, for lack of a better term. And so it tends to come from suffering. And I took over a family business when I was, when I was 25, took on a bit of a turnaround project, and uh, the company was in deep, ugly debt. And it was three brutal years of digging out of debt and turning it around. And we successfully turned it around, successfully sold it. And so I just, I think that's a big part of it. And then I've just always been, I've exhibited these traits that we'll talk about, and it's always made me different, odd, you know, so entrepreneurs are quirky and weird. And, and so from all of that, somewhere I had a light bulb moment at around 29 years old or 30 years old that, you know, I want to spend my life helping entrepreneurs solve that pain, you know, bring them out of ignorance and suffering and show them that it doesn't have to be the hell that they're going through. And so that's, that's where it all comes from. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense now. That's, I mean, that, that, that help, maybe helps explain why you wrote the book, Develop the EOS System, right? And you yeah. wrote, wrote the book Traction and the other one, Rocket Fuel, and you've sold over a million copies of those, of those books. Talk about what you do in that, in that book, so in Traction specifically, and why, why that helps an entrepreneur. Yeah, you bet. And so after the, the kind of the bumpy entrepreneurial ride in my 20s, and like I said, taking over the family business, turning it around, successfully selling it, I discovered this knack that I said for helping entrepreneurs. And so for the last 20 years, 20 plus years now, I created a system called EOS that we brought to the world. And again, it was all stemming from that passion. But what I've been doing for 20 years is building with my partner, Don Tinney, a team of EOS implementers that help companies implement EOS, help entrepreneurs run a better business. And so these are successful businesses that we help become even more successful. They're typically a privately held 10 to 250 person organization. And so we basically built a team of EOS implementers, 375 strong around the world, Don and I decided to sell that business two and a half years ago. I still own 12.5%. I still own all the books. I'm still the EOS guy. I still have clients. So half of my working life is still EOS. It is my love. That's what it's all about. So Gino, when you were creating EOS, so you did, this wasn't just a theory. You didn't just think of it. It didn't just pop in your head. There was a process behind this can you tell us a little bit about that process and how, why it's such a successful system and the amount of work you had to put into actually creating it using data? 
Yeah, you bet. And uh, and so I love that you use the word theory because it's definitely not theory. I cringe at the word theory. And so, you know, everything I do is real world, time tested, and it's also very simple and practical. So through the experience in my 20s, I spent my 20s as an absolute sponge learning from all of the greats. I was armed with two amazing mentors and obviously turned that business around. And so through all that, my brain has this way of seeing patterns and trends. And when I decided at 29, 30 years old, how I wanted to spend the rest of my life helping entrepreneurs, after selling the business, I threw myself into that world looking for entrepreneurs that needed help. I was a member of the Young Entrepreneurs Organization, now known as EO. I was helping a lot of my EO brethren. And so over a period of about five years, from like age 30 to 35 roughly, is where I ultimately put the finishing touches on what EOS is. And so what it was, was five years, 500 sessions with 50 clients, honing, testing, refining tools. I, I mean, I have extreme OCD and I... I, I laid awake in bed most nights just obsessing about how can I help and what's a simpler way to do this. And I just boiled it all down to a handful of tools that have an incredible impact on an organization and help it run like a Swiss watch and free that entrepreneur up to be the visionary that they are and grow the company to the next level. Yeah, we implemented this uh, system at both both companies, Nighthawk and then uh, the educational side as well. And you you talked about helping entrepreneurs reduce stress and make our lives a little more enjoyable. And I think that's exactly what it does, Gary, right? I mean, it, it gives us a lot of structure for how we run the company. Yeah, you know, that it's an incredible thing that you've created there. So to go along with that, you had so many data points. How did you whittle it down to like the 20 core data points that you're using now because it's that's a pretty incredible process. Yeah, and, and I probably tried and tested 500 things to get it down to the 20, you know. So it's 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 again, it's back to OCD. And so it's and I also have this mind I'm able to just simplify things. And so the reality is every time something worked really well and then I tried it again and tried it again and tried it again and it worked like 10 times in a row, that was a keeper. And if I had something that worked relatively well, that wasn't a keeper. And so it was just the, the best 20. I have, I have always had this thing burned in my brain that there's 20 tools in the toolbox and it's, it's a teaching from my dad who's an amazing teacher, trainer, speaker, motivator. And, and so somehow that was always burned into my brain. And so I just was obsessive about, I got to get this thing down to 20 of the most impactful tools that are going to help an entrepreneur get to the next level. And so just a whole bunch of trial and error and this ability to be very discerning and, and simplify and cut out the really good stuff and just keep the great stuff. Yeah. So uh, if anyone watching, listening to this has not read Gino's book, Traction, go ahead and do that right now, especially if you're running a small or medium-sized company and you're kind of stressing out a little bit or a lot bit. This uh, has created a lot of structure around how we run meetings, how we set goals, how we track goals. And we feel like we have a much higher degree of certainty of actually achieving those goals and keeping us sane along the well. So definitely check that out as well. Now, so so you've kind of moved on a little bit, you kind of sold off that business a little bit. And I'm like, when I heard that you were moved on to a new book that you were super excited about, I was like, my gosh, this man, he's got two passions. I thought we can only be passionate about one thing. So tell us about this new book. It's called Entrepreneurial Leap, which is fascinating. Why did you write this book? Yeah, and I love that. The good news is the passion stretches over both, you know, it really does. business models, if you will, because it's all about entrepreneurs. And so what happened is after two to three decades of obsessing about entrepreneurs and helping them become successful, 
I decided to now go to the front end of the entrepreneurial journey and help entrepreneurs in the making take a better leap, help you start a better startup. And, and so there's so many great new entrepreneurs, especially coming out of a pandemic. We're going to spawn some incredible entrepreneurs. It's like the right place at the right time. And so what I'm doing is I'm teaching my 18-year-old self. There's a great quote by Daniel Kenny that says, we teach what we needed the most. And so, you know, I'm looking back to the misunderstood, mislabeled, derelict entrepreneur in the making that I was, who was lost, insecure back at 18. If I would have had this content, had this information, I would have been much further ahead. Like I said, I didn't realize I wasn't until I was 29. And again, you don't have to be 18. You can be any age, 13 to 113. But if you think you might be an entrepreneur, I created this to help you ultimately determine whether or not you are and then how to greatly increase your odds of success. So, okay, define for us, because when I first started reading your book, I, I wasn't quite sure if I agreed with you. Because you have a very interesting theory that maybe we can banter about in just a second. But talk about how you define an entrepreneur, because, because you actually talk about a spectrum of entrepreneurs. Can you talk about that spectrum? Describe an entrepreneur. Yeah, and there's that word theory. <laughs> so, you know, so again, what I'm about to share stems from, you know, it is definitely my experience and my opinion, but that's based on, again, three decades. We've got 100,000 companies using the EOS tools. And so a couple of things I want to say as I lead into what you're asking about the entrepreneurial range. The first very important philosophy is that I believe you are born with the traits of an entrepreneur. They cannot be taught. And that's debatable. Half the world agrees with me and half doesn't. The good news is all of the true entrepreneurs I know 100% agree with me. That's all that really matters. Anyway, there's some educators that would disagree with me. So, so with that said, I first and foremost believe you're born with it. Number two, I believe there are six essential traits. And very quickly, as I share these, I want your audience and your listener to just do a little checkup on themselves and say, do I possess these six things? And so they are visionary, passionate, problem solver, driven, risk taker, and responsible. And so let's pretend for a moment that that is true. Those are the six essential traits. You're born with them. If you have them, odds are you're probably gonna be a true and a successful entrepreneur. But now here's what's important. I'm talking about true entrepreneurs that start companies, build companies with lots of people, okay? And so I, to your point, Michael, I created something and I write about something in the book called the entrepreneurial range, okay? And the entrepreneurial range, if you can picture in your mind this arc, if you will, and on the far right side of that arc are the words true entrepreneur, and the far left side of that arc are the words self-employed. Well, anybody that has their own business is somewhere on that range. And when I talk about these six essential traits and these true entrepreneurs, I'm simply talking about the people on the right half of the range that, like I said, build businesses with lots of people. And to give you the extreme, if we go all the way and we redline the right side of that range, those are the greatest entrepreneurs of all time. Henry Ford, Walt Disney, Thomas Edison, Elon Musk, Oprah Winfrey, Sarah Blakely. And then now let's go all the way to the left side, that self-employed side of the spectrum. Well, these are people with side hustles, freelancers, consultants. They're one-person shows, and that's okay, and that's admirable. And they are self-employed, and they have their own business. And so I always like to say, if, you're, if you've got handy skills, and you go out and become a handy man or woman and charge 60 bucks an hour, you will make 100 grand a year being a one-person show, and that's heaven. 
But what I would suggest to you is if you have these six traits, you will not be able to help yourself, but to ultimately become a construction company because you're going to start doing the math and say, you know what, if I hire somebody for 25 bucks an hour, that's a, and then you'll start doing the math, you'll add people and you'll build a business. Point is, it doesn't matter where you are on that spectrum, but I'm just telling you that if you're looking to build a business, you know, our EOS clients are 10 to 250 person privately held companies. If you want to become one of those entrepreneurs, you really have to possess the six essential traits. And then the last little point is, this is a cautionary tale. I'm truly trying to help you from 10 years of misery out there because if you don't have these traits and you're trying to build an empire, you're going to be miserable because it is hard work. So Gino, that's, you know, when I, when I first read this, I, I took the assessment and I was like, wow, I was like, I have all of these. Like I, I scored a hundred percent, you know, the first time. And it, it was weird because it's like, I did this all on my own growing up and I didn't even realize, like I didn't, I couldn't put it like a, a word with it. Right. I was just like, I just did it. Yeah, so, so I guess I was born with, the, with these traits. My question is, based on your data and not theory, how did you come up with these specific traits as being those that an entrepreneur needs to possess? Yeah, a that, true entrepreneur. great, great question. And I appreciate that you brought up the assessment because for anybody listening, you can go take a free assessment, e-leap.com and find out if you score. If you score 90 or higher, you probably have these six essential traits like Garrett did. So where this comes from is first and foremost, like I said, 30 years of history with entrepreneurs and working with entrepreneurs and obsessing about them. Out of that, when I was 40, I'm now 53, I said, when I turn 50, I'm going to shift my energy and I'm devoting my energy to entrepreneurs in the making. That's what drove this book. That's why I sold the business. That's why I made this shift where now the other half of my time is obsessing and focusing about this. So first and foremost, after 30 years and that's putting the stake in the ground, I started to just pay attention, research, ask questions, learn. And what happened is I whittled it down to a handful of traits. It was probably something more than six at the time, but not many more. And then what I would do is everything I do, like I said, no theory is tested, honed, tried and true. So what I started to do is then share this information with those true entrepreneurs. And I started with, I can't remember the number, like I said, but I would get their feedback on which traits they feel they exhibit, which ones resonate with them. And though, so that went on for a couple of years. Then I whittled the list down. And when I then wrote it, I had, I had 75 test readers for this book. I usually have about 20. So that's a, that's a big number. But for me, as long as I bet a literally a thousand. So if, as long as I have a hundred percent of the people say, yes, that is me, which is exactly what happened as I would bounce these off true entrepreneurs, as my test readers read everything, it just kept proving itself over and over and over. I kept getting the nods. You know, certainly I looked at myself, certainly I looked at all of my clients, but it's, it was just basically 10 years of obsessing and paying attention and watching and asking tons of questions. That's how I do it. So, the book is a little bit, a little bit of a tough love book on the oh, sun, yeah. one there, right? Because I'm reading this book and I'm a freelancer or whatever. I'm reading this book and and I'm like taking the assessment and I get a 76. I'm like, no. So what are you saying? I'm not an entrepreneur. You're like, it seems to me like you're trying to save someone from a lot of heartache and pain and failure by trying to be a true entrepreneur when they don't have the traits. Is that kind of what you're trying to do? 
Yes, 100%. So there's no question it's a punch in the face. It's disheartening. And if you're one of those people that is lathered up about all this hype about entrepreneurs and you want to take your own leap, you know, that's my point I make. Only 4% of the population has what it takes to be a true entrepreneur. So it's not like a career choice for everyone. And if, you know, and again, I don't know how much of a debate we're going to get into this fact that you're We're going to start that right now, Gino. What's that? We're going to start that debate right <laughs> now. I love it. So we're here's get into point. it. There are people walking the earth that actually think they can teach anyone how to be an entrepreneur. So they literally think they can teach 7.5 billion people on this planet how to be an entrepreneur. That's a crime, okay? That's criminal. And so the point is, there are 10,000 career choices out there. This is just one of them, and it is brutal. So, so you gotta be cut out for it. You know, it's not this like ultimate pinnacle in life to be an entrepreneur, it's just one of a zillion career choices, and I'm just helping you try to decide if it's right for you. Now, here's the good news. If you score low, you think I'm wrong, go prove me wrong. That's the beauty, you, don't, you, you get to ultimately decide. I have like friends that are kind of like a one man show, like you talked about, but they're not a true entrepreneur. What do you say to those people? Like, can, can they ever get there? Isn't there, there's, there's not something you can tell them like, Hey, just hire a few people and you could be more on that path. No, I say to them, hallelujah. So celebrate that. I mean, you know how many one person shows that there are making a million bucks a year. This is my point about be a handy man or a handy woman. You'll make a hundred grand a year with no employees. Employees are tough. I mean, people are <laughs> tough, tough beings to deal with. So that's my point. You don't, not everybody wants to have a bunch of employees. Not everybody should build an empire like that. So I say to them, hallelujah, know thyself, relish that, let your freak flag fly and be exactly what you're here to be. You know, this is why understanding exactly what you mean by entrepreneur is super important, right? Because someone could watch and listen and go, how dare he? I'm an entrepreneur. I'm a one-man show, two-man, three-man show, whatever. I, too, am an entrepreneur. But the way you define it is it is quite narrow. It's, it's, it's entrepreneurs who are building something significant. And, and if you do look at it from that, from that angle and you look at the characteristics that you, that you mentioned, it's hard to teach those things. It really is. At the same time, one of the reasons I love real estate is because I feel like it lowers the bar for the average entrepreneur on that spectrum. Yeah. You got the one man show on the left and you got the 200 person person, you know, company over here and real estate falls somewhere kind of on, in the middle because I can build a multi-million dollar business with four people. Like yeah. I can control $90 million of real estate with four people. Now, is that a real entrepreneur? I don't know, right? Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. Well, here's the beauty. So, so everything we've talked about to this point is in the first part of the book. So I wrote the book in three parts. And so we're about to transition to the second part. So the first part is called Confirm, and it's all about confirming that you're a true entrepreneur. And let's pretend you are. Then we go to what I call Glimpse, and then the third part is Path. As we're about to go to Glimpse, I want to first say that's what that entrepreneurial range is all about. And so understand, if you're that person that you talked about with four employees, in the apartment investment business, amen and hallelujah to you. You're probably still on the left half of that entrepreneurial range, but listen, life ain't all bad for you. But as we go into glimpse, there's something really important. So I love when I'm doing a podcast with an industry specific podcast, because you actually, your audience has half the battle won. Because what I do in Glimpse, in addition to showing you countless real world stories, showing you a day in the life of an entrepreneur, both heaven and hell, and how to avoid the eight critical mistakes, I then share with you the entrepreneur in the making 
all of your options. There are 10,000 options of businesses for you to start. And so we take you through industries, types of businesses, B2B, B2C, product, business, service. Well, all of a sudden here, your audience, you already know the business you're in. Half the battle is won, as I said. So now you're going in the apartment business. Now we get to pull that entrepreneurial range into the picture and you get to decide. If you're gonna stay on the far left, listen, you'll own 10, 20, 100 units, you'll make some good money, you're fine. If you have the six essential traits, you are probably going to build an empire. My largest client manages 10,000 apartment units. So the sky's the limit in terms of what you can build. And it's just if you wanna be an organization that owns, invests, and manages one, two, five, 10,000 units, you're gonna have to have those traits. And I just caution you. And so you get, you already know the industry, now you get to decide where you are in that range and then go baby go. <laughs> so you're saying there's no hope for the guy and gal getting a 74 on your, on your assessment? Not no hope, what I'm saying is at seven, a 74 score, it's highly unlikely you're going to build an empire. Now here is the mm. other interesting thing about being in real estate, okay? And so in my other book, Rocket Fuel, where I teach the visionary integrator concept. So a visionary is an entrepreneur. The integrator is the person that counterbalances them. What I talk about is how an organization without a visionary can only last so long, but it depends on the industry as well. And no criticism to your industry, but I talk about one of the slowest moving industries being real estate and apartment building management and the fastest moving, let's talk about cell phones and high tech, okay? Well, if your company is in the cell phone business and you don't have a visionary, you're gonna last like a week because you need to innovate weekly. With all due love and respect to the apartment investing, things aren't changing that fast. So, so yes, to your point, it requires a lower level of visionary ability, mm -hmm. so you do have a, lower barrier to entry and an opportunity to go into an industry that doesn't isn't ever changing on you by the week. So if that made sense, yes. It's no, it, it absolutely does. Because I've done so many things in my life. I've done software. I've started restaurants. I've negotiated short sales, the stocks and options, you know, all this stuff and then flipped houses. And of all the things, if I were to start a software company, I'd be like, oh my gosh, you know how many hours I'd have to work over how many years and then lucky if I sell it. You know, let's say, or I open up a nightclub or something like that. Or, you know, like crazy, crazy stuff where you have to be in innovative, you have to be super resourceful versus real estate, which is kind of on the boring side of things. But it's, in my mind, the most replicatable business. I can literally teach someone the business. I could not teach someone how to start a software company. I don't even know where to start. There's so much so much gut and grit involved, right? So I almost feel like this is why I like real estate apartments specifically. I think it's like the best and most ideal business in the world because you can run it as a one-man show or I can build, uh, there's people who have property management company Garrett, like you did with 250 people. I mean, it's a wide spectrum. But you can you can find ways in these slower industries to make an impact and, and you can speed up and, and become this creative visionary in a certain way and, and add maybe your construction, the things you're doing in construction are different than anyone else. So there's ways that you can stand out as well in our industry, even if it is slower moving, we don't have to keep up with the, the high tech trends that are happening. And that's a one way to kind of set you apart.
at least in our industry. So, yeah, and, and I, the other thing I would add is you just can't lose sight of the fact that yes, the industry is a little slower moving, and yes, everything we said, there's an opportunity there that's different than going into you know high tech. But once you have 100 employees, 200 employees, 300 employees, I mean, it does start to get complex and it definitely requires a different kind of person than, like you said, somebody with four employees. So my client that had 10,000 units, they had 750 employees. It's a complex business. And the gentleman at the helm of that organization was a flaming visionary, incredible visionary. And so I even look at my clients with a thousand units, 2000 units, 5,000 units. I mean, those, every one of those has a true entrepreneur at the top, maybe not red line, but certainly at least in the middle of the range. And this has a discussion. You got to be clear what you want, right? You know, because you're right. We're like, we want 10,000, no, 20,000, hundred thousand units. Yeah. But wait a minute. Are you clear what that means? Thanks. Right. Do you know how complex, <laughs> how many people in there? And sometimes we just talk about it because we just want to go big. But, you know, I know a guy who's got 860 units. He's making like $75,000 a month. He's like, dude, you guys are nuts. I don't know why I would want that. I have like four people that work with me. I'm happy as a clam. I can go surfing anytime I want, right? So you got to be clear about what you want. What kind of entrepreneur do you want to be? Exactly. And that's what that whole glimpse is about. And again, the beauty, you know the industry you're in. So now you're just picking the size. You're 100% correct. And when I have to talk to a generic audience, I have to start by saying, being a tech billion dollar unicorn is not all it's cracked up to be. And that's what most of them want to be. And I'm like, whoa, 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 back up to start a and build a $3 million heating and cooling company that throws up a 20% profit. That ain't all bad. So don't yeah. get caught up in the hype of this billion dollar thing, just like a lot of your audience gets caught up in the you know 10,000 unit hype. Why do you think people want to do that? Why are they always trying to go to that that range and be you know, the, the Elon Musk of their industry. Look at all of the news and media and the magazines. <laughs> Who's on the cover? You know, that's what you see on the cover. So you, so, so I don't know that I've ever seen, there's a great quote by Jim Collins that says, the greatest entrepreneur will never know because it's some $10 million company in middle America that doesn't want to be known. Well, we're never going to see that person. And the day I read that quote 23 years ago, I said, I'm building that company, which I did with EOS Worldwide. We didn't want to be known. We didn't need to be known. So you're just never going to see that humble person on a magazine. And so you see these big name billionaires and, and we get drawn into it. We get sucked into it. We think that that's the one and only option. It, you know what? But I think it's a lot of ego driven as well, too. We're like, we need to be bigger. But are we clear what that means? Like if we don't run a company, if we don't implement EOS properly, if we don't run this right, we're going to, you know, the, the wheels are going to come off and it's going to come at an expense of our health and relationships because we want to build this company. But in your time, you've seen a lot of entrepreneurs make lots of mistakes. And one of them is trying to think they're an entrepreneur when they're lacking one of these six traits. And what a, so besides a misalignment of entrepreneur. What are some of the mistakes that you see people make uh, as they embark on their journey? Yeah, no, I love that. And then we're, again, we're in this glimpse part. And so as I mentioned a, a few minutes ago, what I share in glimpse is a day in the life, both heaven and hell, the dream and the yeah, nightmare. Right. And I'm sharing that contrast because I'm trying to help that entrepreneur in the making understand it is an option and it is avoidable to not live the nightmare. And there are eight critical mistakes. And so almost that every many, entrepreneur huh? makes these mistakes. I'm going to rip through them really fast. You pick one or two that you want to drill deeper on. But this is what mistakes entrepreneurs make almost all the time. Number one, not having a vision. Two, hiring the wrong people. Three, not spending time with your people. 
Four, not knowing who your customer is. Five, not charging enough. Six, not staying true to your core. Seven, not knowing your numbers. Eight, not crystallizing roles and responsibilities. That's a lot of mistakes right there. I don't know. We could, <laughs> almost we could spend, we could, we could spend a quite a quite a bit on on that. I you know I think for me that stood out is not uh, that is not staying true to your core uh, to some degree because there's some degree of shiny objectitis. Uh, on the other hand, there's opportunity that just are really lucrative. Yeah, they don't feel quite right and maybe don't serve your mission. But man, you'd be an idiot not to go down that path. And then sometimes we make these decisions and we take advantage of these opportunities because they're short-sighted and lucrative. I don't know. Is there like a biggest mistake? Is there a top? Say, Gino, pick the number one mistake entrepreneurs make. Well, unfortunately, no, they're all equally weighted. And this is what, you know, again, almost every entrepreneur I work with that I help them go to the next level, they all suffered from these mistakes. So they're equal, but let's pick the one that you picked. And I just want to give your audience an example. So not staying true to your core. And so the classic example is that entrepreneur, again, typically attended 250 person company privately held. They got so successful that they found themselves in other businesses doing other things. And like you said, they saw shiny stuff, but they don't realize how that's going to distract their focus. Well, to use the apartment industry, you know, let's pretend because with every one of my apartment clients, we get hyper clear on what type of building are you going after? What is the geography? What is the psychographic of the tenant you're looking for? And to the degree you focus on those kind of properties, you have a very focused model that you can scale. But now let's pretend you don't do that. You don't stay true to core and you go after A, B and C properties. You look everywhere in the country. In other words, every place, everywhere is fine. You'll buy a two-unit building or a 250-unit building. So all of a sudden, that's a buckshot approach to the world. And let's pretend you grow that to 2,000 units. And all of a sudden, you have 25 properties with four units. And you, and you, you get what I'm trying to say. It's just kind of this, this complex mess where if you'll focus on your core, where do you excel? What is your sweet spot? What are you drawn to? It's going to help you be much more focused, clear, and less complex. So, Gina, I love that. One of the ones that stuck out to me was, and this stems just from a, a really funny, quick story, but hiring the wrong people. So, my first hire that I ever made, actually, he was, he was supposed to be a leasing like specialist. And so, he went and he leased the first week he leased 10 apartments and I was super excited. I'm like, wow, he leased 10 apartments. That's crazy. And collected all the money. And then we went to, to go uh, meet with him to get the money and he just disappeared. <laughs> <laughs> so he took, he took like 10 grand in renter's money. We had to move him in without, without the deposits. And I didn't even know at that time that you needed to run background checks. He ended up on the news no. <laughs> so later for running the scam on Craigslist. So my point is, how do you, if you don't, if you're not like a, a hiring HR, you know, person, how do you find and how do you hire the right people? Because this is so, such a range of ways to go about this. And how do you kind of narrow that down to find yeah. the right people? It's actually a very simple formula. And so where it starts is by understanding the mistake. And the mistake is you as an entrepreneur start your business, reach some level of success, and you need a body now. And the classic mistake is you grab the nearest body to you, your mother, your dad, your brother, your sister, your uncle, your neighbor, your best friend, and you throw them into your business. And a few years later, you find yourself surrounded with all the wrong people because you just kept throwing bodies every time you hit a level of capacity. Well, here's the solution. You need to take a big step back, understanding the hell you're going to be in in four years, hence the power of glimpse. 
You need to slow down, first discover your core values. What are your personal core values in business? Certainly it's three to seven things that define you as a person. Slow down, slow hire, quick fire. And so slow hire says you now need to find people that possess those core values and certainly have the skill set for what you need them to do. We call that the right person in the right seat. Uh, and then forward you go. And if you make the wrong hire, you obviously quick fire, but that's the way to do it. Yeah, I'm still learning this right now because I'm super loyal. It's like a, a strength I have and slash a weakness because I hold on to people far too long and I actually hire kind of quick and fire kind of slow. So I do exact opposite. I've been getting, I'm working on myself on that. Now, having talked about a lot of mistakes in entrepreneurs, but there are some patterns you see with people who are successful. What are some of those traits? In regards to? Entrepreneurship, successful entrepreneurs. Keys of success. Yeah. And so again, I'm just, now I'm going to give you the flip side of this. And actually now you're jumping to paths. So since you're going there, I'm just going to take you there. And so Let's now, go that we've, yeah, now that we've confirmed you're an entrepreneur in the making, we've shown you a glimpse, you've chosen the business you're going to go after. So again, in confirm, take the assessment. That's the tool. In glimpse, you would fill out my biz match, but you don't need to because you know you're going to be in the apartment business. Just decide the size you want to build. In yeah, and path, the markets. That's a good point. Exactly. In path, now we're going to show you a path to greatly increase your odds of success and, again, help you avoid a bunch, avoid a bunch of mistakes. And so in that part of the book, I teach something called the eight disciplines for increasing your odds of success. And again, I'll just quickly rip through them. You pick the one that you want to talk about, but it's clarifying your vision. It's deciding if you are a partner person. That's always a fun one. Know that the bigger the problem you solve in the world, the more successful you will be. Number four, get feedback from customers and clients early and often. Number five, know that your first plan will not be your final plan. Number six, work hard, really hard. Number seven, take criticism and doubt from others with a grain of salt. And number eight, see it every night. You know, and so you pick one, but, but partner person might be a great topic for this audience. But if you think there's one better, then I'm going to shut up and let you pick. I think that's a great one as well, because in this business, uh, unlike in a single family house world, it's kind of like me, myself and I. But in multifamily, it's hard. It's very unusual to be a one man or one woman show. And, and most commonly, there's joint ventures of at least two people, sometimes up to four to five, sure. because it allows us every person in the, in the venture to play to the strength and the same time allow greater scale and achieve scale faster. But the problem is, same with employees, sometimes you just don't know. You know, you don't, you meet someone at a show, you seem to get along, you seem to have complementary strengths and you hop in, you know, you do a deal together. Uh, but how can you know? I, I, you know, first of all, it's about the other person. But I think what you're saying is, are you yourself a partner person? Do you work in a partnership or do you need to be king and only king? Uh, so talk a little bit about that. Are you a partner person? Exactly. So, and I'm not talking about investors, okay? Because that's where your business model is a yeah. little different. And so if you- I'm not talking about either. I'm talking about active yeah. partners in the business. Yeah, yeah so you're absolutely. Bringing, so, so I just don't want your audience to get confused. This isn't about the investors that are part of your business model. This is, you know, who's going to have a stake in your business. And so there are two types of people in the world. There are people that should have partners and there are people that should not have partners and neither is bad. And there are as many successful in either camp. So you just have to decide because if you're not a partner person, then you should not have partners and you're going to be miserable. And five years from now, you're going to be unwinding a very ugly business 
And I'm telling you, I've been through so many of them helping my clients, you know, separate from each other. So, but here's what's important to know. Make that decision first, but now let's pretend you decide you're a partner person. There's two types of partner people. There's a partner person that wants an equal partner, and there's a partner person that is willing to give equity, but maintain controlling interest. And so that's the type of person I am to use an example. I love giving people equity. I love them having skin in the game. I love them having a piece of the rock, but I'll never give up controlling interest. And so I need to be the final say, I need to make the final decision. And so you just need to know which one you are before you go into starting your business so that you're not unwinding a mess five years from now. That is awesome. Love that. Yeah, this, this, it's a unique business. You got to have partners. My first partnership fell apart. And I had a tough time getting back into that mode of partnership. You know, I had to overcome a lot to, to get back into that. And you but still came back into a new partnership. I'm still amazed about that because I would have been I, in a corner sucking my thumb after something like that. <laughs> it's funny what you do when you're about to go broke, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and by the way, I want to say this at this point too, it's really important. When we talked about that entrepreneur range and the person on the left side of the range and you didn't score 90 or higher, go partner with someone who's a true entrepreneur and then it's going to be rocket fuel. You know, it's going to be a match made in heaven. So just know you can still build that empire. Just- oh, so there is hope for someone getting a 70s. Oh, thank goodness. Yeah. <laughs> thank you for that. <laughs> so uh, Gino, I got to ask you this question. Yeah. So I noticed you really value the great authors, the past authors that maybe people don't read about as much or what they should. So I'm talking about, you know, Napoleon Hill, oh yeah, Jim Collins, Dale Carnegie, all the greats. That's like, you love that, oh, right? Oh my God, you bet. That's what I grew up you, on in my 20s. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So you, interestingly, are kind of creating your own version of that now, would you, do you consider yourself kind of like the modern day version of those greats? Is that, and is that what you're trying to do as a part of your legacy, would you say? Uh, I, I don't consider myself one of those. I don't aspire to be one of those. I'm an introvert and I'm a mad scientist and I prefer to be in the lab and building EOS worldwide for 20 years. I never did a podcast, okay? I'm doing podcasts. This is like podcast number 70 for this new book. And it's it's weird. I'm having a blast doing them. And I speak, but I handpick five, three to five speaking engagements a year. But no, I don't aspire. My ego does not need to be the big name, the big face, the guru. So to me, I'm a teacher. And, you know, I teach through books and I certainly teach live on occasion, but whatever that turns into, listen, I'm having a blast at this exact moment and I know I'm impacting lives. So I just want to impact lives, whatever that turns into. We've got a hundred thousand companies running on EOS. I would have kind of expected that, but never a hundred thousand, maybe 10,000. So, so no, that's, that does nothing for my ego. I don't need it. And when I finish this next project, this is a 10 year project entrepreneurially, I'm going to go create the next thing that's going to help a bunch more people. And whatever that means, it means I really don't care about the accolades. Well, you love clearly it. have a boundless energy, Gino. And I, I love that. You know, it's, uh, some people just have, you know, as our one hit wonders, you are, you are not. So uh, how can people connect with you uh, and remind people again where they can get that assessment as well and the book? 
Yes. Yeah, so the epicenter of all things Entrepreneurial Leap is the website e-leap.com. That's where they can buy the book. That's where they can take the assessment. There's also a free chapter they can download just to read the first 30 pages and see if you fall in love with it and keep going. Now, the other thing I would throw out there too, on the website, there's a become a collaborator button. And what that is, is it's for anybody out there that loves to teach, coach, mentor, guide other entrepreneurs. I give you all of my content to just go teach and help and, and spawn more entrepreneurs. And so if that's a side passion of yours, I urge you to click on that become a collaborator button as well. That's awesome. I just love your passion and your, and your mission to help entrepreneurs. So thanks so much for being on the show today, Gino. My pleasure. Man, that's some good stuff, Garrett. But, you know, here's the thing. I just don't know if I buy it, the fact that you're just born as an entrepreneur, and if not, you're not. Like, I, I find that hard to believe because, shoot, I'm an educator. <laughs> the funny thing is that I, I was, like, questioning myself. I'm like, you know, am I, was I really born with this? And then I'm like, man, I don't know. Maybe I was. So it it's definitely tests you a little bit as, as a person in general, and I definitely think that there's a spectrum. You know, it's, it's, uh, it was, it's very interesting to see his take and to read into the different traits that create a true entrepreneur and how that works. You know, it, it's interesting. I mean, I think on the one hand, it's there to talk people out of something, that they're just going to be banging their head against the wall, which is people who are on the left spectrum uh, and they really want to be in the right spectrum. But on the other hand, you know, here's the thing for me personally, I didn't discover I was an entrepreneur until it was my mid thirties. I was always an employee. My dad worked was IBM for 35 years. I didn't even know what an entrepreneur was and whether it existed. Now, had I read this book and I looked at the six traits in there, you know, the visionary, passionate, driven, risk taker, responsible, problem solver, and then read his glimpse chapter, I would have been like, holy moly, he's talking about me, but I had no idea. So I think the book will talk some people out of being an entrepreneur, but I think also it'll talk people into being an entrepreneur and maybe they didn't think they were. Yeah. And you know, I think that's just providing that kind of transparency, I think was a big goal of that book in general. And he's just been doing this for so long that, that you know that this isn't just like, like he mentioned, it's not a theory. He's just, yeah. he's gone into these data points over years and years of time to come up with these traits. He didn't just think of it and it goes in a book. He's like tested it over and over again. So it's something that definitely knowing that, that you know, it's kind of come from that kind of a source makes it even more interesting. And it really does because he's not some kind of academic that wrote some kind of Harvard Business Review. You know, he's, it's, it's, he's worked with so many entrepreneurs and seen people fail and succeed. So when he has these six traits, the eight mistakes and the whatever, you're like, oh my gosh, you're like you got to pay attention to these things because these are based on actual experiences that people have had. Yeah. And I think everybody that, that has, that is an entrepreneur or maybe if they're, if they're on the other side of the spectrum, they've gone through something like that, that's kind of crafted them. That's what he talked about as well, is that there's usually like this down, really big down moment that helps kind of define who you are. And, and a lot of times just in life in general, that's true. If you think of any time that you were, you know, you learned the most or became something different, it didn't happen from those major up positive times. It was something detrimental that kind of forced you in that direction. And I love that he talked on that and how that, that kind of plays into things. So I'm sure you've had the same, Michael. Well, you know, people about, they want to know about your successes. You know, I, I get asked, what's your best deal? And I'm thinking to myself, it's kind of a dumb question because you don't really 
learn a lot from your good deals. Like you don't, you learn the most from people from deals that didn't go well. That's where you learn the most from. And I've had plenty, plenty of those. I'm sure you have as well. Yeah. The best one, <laughs> I'll keep it short. <laughs> one of the best ones was a 50 unit that I had in the South side of Chicago. And the entire tenant base, they didn't have real jobs. They had hustler jobs. And the entire building was on a steam boiler. So right after we bought it, the steam boiler was broken. And it would blast heat. It'd be 150 degrees in some people's apartments in the middle of winter. And others would be, have no heat at all. And so you'd see windows open with just heat blasting out the side. And others, people were getting calls about it. And we looked the first month we had that property, we looked at the gas bill and it was like $30,000 on a 50 unit. And the revenue, I think, was like 12000 So we, we, were, we were, that was a big learning lesson uh, for me right away. And so extremely, you know, I, I could tell you a million of those stories, but that's, you well, learn when you started with Southside, I already knew where that was going, going as well. It's like, holy moly, <laughs> so you've had me at Southside. But, you know, it... <laughs> But that's the thing. People are, you know, afraid of making mistakes. And it's not only a necessary part of being an entrepreneur, it's actually that's how you grow. And I, I, I used to be afraid of make, making mistakes because I was a W-2 employee for, for, for so long. And until I realized, oh my gosh, it's not, a, it's not a mistake. It's an opportunity to grow, to get better. And because of my quote mistakes, I am you know, who I'm right now. Had I, you know, before that point, I'd never really failed at anything. But who was I as a, as a person, as an entrepreneur? I was an employee making $100,000 a year, and that's all I was going to be at the time. And, you know, I just really wasn't living life to the fullest. And I thought I was. And I was when I was reading books like Napoleon Hill or Ken Carnegie, like you mentioned, I was like, oh, my gosh, there's, I need to push myself further. And in order to do that, you got to put yourself out there a little bit. Yeah. And if you think about the, the definition of safety, everybody's like, oh, you know, if I, go, I want to go do a job because it's, it's safe. You can get fired in, in an economic downturn. To me, that's not safe. You know, I'd rather bet on myself over betting on some boss that I had that, that maybe doesn't like me or, or maybe they do, but then the company goes sideways. And so I think that, that changing your perspective on that alone can have a great impact and, and couple it with reading this guy's book and, or his books. I mean, man, you could be off on a really cool adventure. Well, we're off looking for our next deal, Garrett, uh, Nighthawk Equity, and uh, we'd love to have a conversation with you. If you're interested in investing outside the stock market and you consider real estate syndication, we'd love to have a conversation with you. Go head over to nighthawkequity.com, click the join button to join our investment club. You'll fill out a, for, a short form. You'll have a conversation with us, and then, uh, if, uh, and then we can show you one of our upcoming opportunities that we're working on right now. We'd love to have you on board, so check that out as well. Uh, really great having you here on the show. Hope you guys were inspired by, uh, by Gino. And enjoyed uh, Garrett and I's banter. Catch you guys next time. Thanks for listening to the Apartment Building Investing Podcast with Michael Block. For more free podcasts, articles, and videos, go to themichaelblanc.com. There, you can also download the free ebook, The Secret to Raising Money to Buy Your First Apartment Building. Till next time.